Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My name is Ben Burnett. I've had politicians... I've had CEOs. I've even had athletes. I have never had a Heisman Trophy winning Hall of Fame running back. Fight on. Marcus Allen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm your first? Really? I mean, there, there can't be but, what, 40 or 50 Heisman Trophy winners that are alive. That's, that's fair. Um, yeah. Y- you'd know. Uh-huh. Well, well, hopefully I'm not your last. So, oh yeah, hopefully yeah. not. Every year they get younger, right? Right. Well, you grew up at, at Lincoln High School in San Diego, California. From all intensive, from all accounts, are one of the greatest running backs. I won't say greatest because you'll push back on me. One of the greatest running backs in the history of the game. What got you interested in football as a kid? Well, we were interested in sports. Um, my dad was athletic. He used to uh, go out and, and, and play baseball with us and football. And, and so we grew up, you know, watching television. And, and, and at the age of 10, I decided what side of the television set I wanted to be on. I said I wanted <laughs> to, to play and not watch. And uh, I did everything to that end. Um, every time we saw something on television, my brothers and I would go out and try to emulate it in the backyard. And we had uh, a family of... Um, they were at like nine brothers, and um, there were just the four of us, and we had a sister, but um, we would play that family. Um, and we were always the uh, the Baltimore Colts, and they were the uh, the Green Bay Packers. I own a share of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. The last yeah. time they went up, I was like, I got $200. I'll buy one. Well, <laughs> it's a good thing that you didn't own them, that share of the, uh, the Packers team that was up the street because we beat them a lot so (laughs) you would have sold your interest (laughs) so reading about you you love the defensive side of the football as a as a a kid talk about learning the game getting into high school your coach tried to make you play quarterback I've heard that story more than once and you fumbled the ball a half dozen times in a row, maybe more. No, it was only eight, eight it, times. Eight times in yeah, a row. That's enough. I think, and he so. threw you off the team. He kicked me off the team. Um, yes, I grew up, you know, wanting to be like, you know, Jack Tatum, hit people, wanted to be physical, violent. Uh, you know, I thought that was the essence of football and stuff, you know, block and tackle and and um, and and being aggressive on the field. That's what I really sort of loved about the game. And... Um, so that's what I grew up doing, you know. The first my verse, my first position was a defensive back, um, and I admired Lim Barney at the time, right? So I remember my first number was number 24. I don't know how I got that number, but I thought it was pretty cool. And then I noticed that uh, after making a couple of plays, I never got any action again. The team always ran the other direction, so I thought playing corner was a bad position. 
Yeah, they tend to find the yeah. best guy on the field as a child and avoid them. <laughs> and um, and then I start playing uh, linebacker and, you know, got a little more action doing that. And uh, in high school, that was my first first position that I played. I was a linebacker. And then they moved me to safety. And, you know, at that point, you can roam around the, and run from sideline to sideline the entire field. And so I really loved that in the quarterback uh, position. At that time, we had some inconsistency. Uh, the coach wanted me to play the position. I didn't want to play. And I remember um, him instructing me to go under center, as I did reluctantly. Got under center on a fumble ball eight times in a row, and he knew what I did, so he kicked me off the team. And I thought he was crazy because I thought I was the best player in San Diego and, at the and, time. And probably were. And um, so I remember walking <laughs> towards the locker room and just saying, wait till, wait till I tell my father he's going to be livid, you know. And, and so I took a shower. I walked home. It was about a two-mile walk. And um, just waited till my dad got home. And I told him, and he said, hey, that's between you two. So I had to, you know, I had to apologize. I had to go back. I, my dad, you know, he did not rescue me. I had to do some troubleshooting myself at the time. And I had to go back, acquiesce, and say, uh, listen here, Coach, I'm sorry. Can I? be reinstated and he says uh yes if you play quarterback and so <laughs> i end up playing quarterback and as fate would have it um we end up winning the championship um i played well at the position i threw the ball i i, I would say i was a pretty good thrower but not a great thrower you know as far as accuracy and things like that but i ran the ball really well and then when i was recruited by usc I was actually recruited as a defensive back because I played both ways. And uh, when I got to USC, I mean, how lucky can a guy get? When I get there, all the running backs behind Charles White are hurt. Welcome to it. And they don't have anybody to play running back or to back up Charles White. And so they asked me to come over, and I, you know, didn't hesitate, and I said yes. And uh, so that was the beginning of the story. Did yeah. you learn the lesson of being able to say yes by early, a few years earlier being like, nope, nope, I'm not going to play quarterback. <laughs> and then you went home and your dad said, well, figure it out. And you said, well, they've got me here for four years. What am I going to do? Well, the, the, the movie The Yes Men came out, I think, many years later and stuff. But, I mean, you certainly, uh, when you say yes, you open the, the possibility of great things happening. If you say no, um, obviously that just, such, you know, that, that just shuts down any – possibility of anything great taking place and stuff and so I realized that um, I, it, it, it was almost faith that you know put me in that position because that doesn't happen I mean they recruited uh, I think um, Herschel Walker they were recruiting Eric Dickerson I mean these are guys that are already playing running back and they all went there and I, apparently they'd love the trip but it's far from uh, home yeah, it, it, it was a great distance. I don't know the reason they didn't go there, but, you know, at that particular time, if you want to play running back, that was the school that you'd go to. And um, they didn't go. And so, you know, again, they didn't have anybody. And I looked at that and go, like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. And, and I ended up playing running back there. And so. You talk about your mom and dad extremely fondly. Yes. All, all the time. And I think that that is uh, rare. Not rare, but I, I believe that that is – you give them an immense amount of credit to where if you were my son, and I know you're in your 60s, so it's, you're not. But if you were my son 
it's the highest compliment that that I could ever receive is to have a son who went on to do so many great things and have that level of discipline and success and still give mom and dad credit for everything. What did they mean to you and how were they different than other people that you grew up with and around? Well, I, I think when you when you you, you have a child um, and then you clearly understand, and I'm sure there's some parents out here, guys, that that reflect and say, my child did not ask to come. So I owe them everything because I brought them here, right? And so I say that every single day today. And my dad may not have said that, but that's the way he, he acted. I mean, they, the enthusiasm and the love that they had towards their children and uh, the attention that they gave him. I, we didn't have to look any further than the dining room table for our role models. They were there every single night. And then, you know, we talk about a village. I had grandparents and uncles and, and important people that uh, really sort of impacted us and, and, and gave and, us confidence and supported us and stuff like that. But, and didn't uh, care who you were. No, no, no. They, they just loved us and, 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 and wanted us to realize our dreams. And, you know, I knew my, my dad was, um, I mean, and, and still is. He certainly, he's getting up there. But my father was just a, he was, he was that, that one dad in the neighborhood that picked all the kids up, you know, for baseball practice. He drove uh, an orange uh, um, Chevrolet truck and stuff, and he, everybody knew Mr. Allen and stuff. And I mean, at the, at, there was there were times that I was like, "Hey, get your own father," you know what I mean? It's like, but I now I look back and realize how important my father was, not only to, to um, my siblings and myself, but to uh, some other kids in the neighborhood. And we always had that that support. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a saying that treat your kids like gas tanks, you know, you fill them up every single day and our parents filled us up every single day with, uh, with love, support, encur- encouragement, tough love, discipline. I mean, they, they filled us up. They didn't let anybody else other than that, you know, the small little community that, that I mentioned earlier, you know, grandparents and uncles and, and aunts and things like that. And, um, but if it was baseball practice, my dad took us. If it was football practice, my dad took us, right? He was a baseball coach. My mom was a dim, you know, the team mother and stuff like that. So they weren't very far from anything that we did. When you were at SC, when did you realize, and look, it's a, I saw in the Bleacher Report several years back in the ranking the 50 greatest players in USC history, and you know all 50 names. You know, I live in Georgia and have for most of my life, I knew all 50 names. When you look at that, when did you realize, freshman, sophomore, junior, that you had the ability to transcend college football at the running back position? Well, my, my first year, I, I mean, Switching possessions and, and really being a backup, I didn't play very much. You know, I, uh, they they threw me in the game at the end of this. You know, uh, when Charlie played, you know, had, had typically had a great game, and they would throw me in. And you know, I showed you know little moments of brilliance here and there and stuff. So, didn't play much my freshman year. Um, John Robinson paid me a huge compliment, and he said, "Marcus, listen here, you're too good an athlete." Um, to sit on the bench, and you're not going to play um, in, in front of Charles White. He asked me to play fullback. Now, that was probably one of the toughest things that I do. I always knew I was tough, right? 
that was one of the toughest things that I did because I was undersized. And linebackers then were weighing 250, you know, um, 260. What were you, 180, 185? Maybe 195, <laughs> you know. And, and so that was, um, that was tough because, um, but I wanted to play. And, and I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to challenge myself, and I wanted to see what I was made of. Because I've always thought football is like the uh, the greatest laboratory in the world. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to find out. Anything, you know, you want to find out about yourself. If you're courageous, if you're intelligent, I mean, it, it's all right there. And it begs for, like, instant resolution. You have to have answers. You know what I mean? So when I played fullback, I was undersized. Uh, I couldn't go the entire season physically trying to just, you know, hit people because, I mean, obviously they were outweighed me by 40 pounds. Yeah. And um, so I had to play the game within the game. So I really learned how to play the game within the game, right? It's, you know, staying up on a guy one play and, and, and cutting in the next play and just having him guess and not being too aggressive. Uh, that was a game that I played. That's the only game I actually could play because physically I didn't have the size to go up and, 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 and dominate a guy. You know, most of the fullbacks were weighing 245, 250, and they could go and do that every single play. I couldn't do that. So I really learned how to play. It was very beneficial. I learned how to pass block. Uh, I learned how to be a really complete player. Uh, then my junior year, they put me at um, um, tailback. And that was actually my first year really playing running back, and most people didn't quite understand that. You don't play running back. Fullback is really not, a, you know, you're, you're not a ball carrier, you know what I mean? So you don't really learn the nuance of really running the ball playing fullback. You learn how to block, right? You're, you're secondary, you know. They may throw you a pass here and there. Um, you may catch guys off, you know, um, by surprise and stuff like that, by going out for passes and stuff like that, which I did. So I did add to the offense, but I was certainly, I was not the featured guy. And, um, and then, but you have to learn how to play running back at the tailback position. I was only like what, four yards or deep or something like that. Now, I'm, you know, six and a half deep, right? And I'm, I'm looking at the entire field. So I had to learn all that stuff, right? And one, the, the, the thing that really helped me out was because, uh, Playing quarterback may be a real comprehensive player, so I thought about everything. I looked at the entire field, and I looked at all the personnel, and I knew exactly what everybody was doing. I didn't do – not my junior year, though, I didn't know that. I was just trying to be physical. I was just trying to run the ball up in there. And I was just trying to be um, what the, you know, the ideal of what a USC running back was, a guy that he can carry it 50 times and be physical and stuff like that. Not until my senior year, after going to um, uh, training camp, um, spring ball, did I actually click and learn. I mean, I knew everything about the game. And, I, and that's when I had the story uh, with my coach and I. His name was John Jackson. Uh, he's no longer with us, but he was such a great guy. Um, I remember my first day at fullback blocking. First day, first play, guys. I broke my nose, blood everywhere. <laughs> and um, I thought I was done for practice. And he says, where are you going? And I said, I, I just broke my nose. He said, I don't give a damn. Get your ass back in there. <laughs> and, and from that point on, I, I, I never left the field. You never leave the field, right? That was, that was my mentality. 
So I go to my senior year after me figuring everything out, knowing all the intellectual part of the game, I felt I was physically ready to, to perform. And that's when I had the conversation with him about, hey, coach, uh, he said, let's, you know, let's make some realistic goals. And I said, okay, coach, I want to be the first back to gain 2,000 yards. <laughs> and he starts laughing at me. And uh, he says, okay, stop joking around. Let's get serious. And I said, coach, I am serious. Because I gained 1,500 yards, and I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to be physical and stuff like that. And um, he said it again. I said, Coach, I am serious, right? And then we, at the end of the season, we end up rushing for 2,342 yards. And um, and that wasn't in a 15-game season either. Yeah, that well, we, I, I left a lot in the third quarter. I should have stayed in the game. Because <laughs> I didn't know Barry Sanders was going to break that record. Uh couple of years later and stuff, which is a bummer. Would you, would you have changed anything about your collegiate career that you would – you have one of the senior seasons no. that is – you wouldn't change a thing. It was perfect. Absolutely uh, nothing. Um, from being a special teams player my, my, uh, my freshman year and understanding the meritocracy um, – that if you want something, you got to go, you know, you got to go beat out the guy and, and go get it. You know, nothing was given to me. All those things benefited me. Playing fullback benefited me. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. No. I have lots. When I, when I sent an email out that said I was going to have you on the show, I got a lot of feedback from people that said, man, he broke my heart when, and it was <laughs> Ohio State and Oh, that Was- Washington Coach- Redskins and all, oh, yeah. also it was it was hilarious because it was nobody was like died in the wool USC fans and they were like man he killed us at X and he said I still that's just I still remember it well the Ohio State game I mean I I, I made a few plays here and there but that was that was all Charles White and down the stretch and at that time uh, we uh, while I was at USC we everybody had this perception of us being as these beach guys. You know, these Hollywood beach guys and stuff like that. And they didn't understand that, like, USC is, like, right in the hood there, right? You know what I mean? It's like, we, we were a lot tougher than, like, most people gave us credit for. And we always wanted our physicality to travel. And that's why we would actually go down to the place, places like Alabama, LSU, and all these places that most people uh, in the West Coast avoided. And um, we went down there, and, and oh, it served us well. Especially games like that against Ohio State, when you're talking about the uh, when we scored a touchdown, Charles White scored a touchdown. Uh, I think with a, I don't know I, less than a minute to go or something like that. So. But I love the Bear Bryant story of he intentionally sent his team or had you guys come play. Not you guys. That was well before I well, got well before there. You. And 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 he de- deserves a lot of credit along with John McKay uh, for making that happen. I think. Um, yeah, I think the true story is that they set that up. They got together. They wanted some players, uh, some black players down in Alabama. Uh, the, 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 I should say maybe the, the university wasn't ready for it at that time. That's and, so, fair. and then, you know, by design, they brought SC. And, uh, Watch what happens to us. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and we won the game. And, obviously, that was um, – the but game it was, that uh, Sam Bam Cunningham was featured and played extremely well in. And well, and changed college football. It changed, yeah, the landscape of college football, So, which was, which was great. When you, when you transition getting ready to 
leave SC after four years. I know a lot of guys now leave early. When you start evaluating what you want out of football, was it any question that you wanted to do anything else, or was that always the meal ticket for you? <laughs> Our dad um, built houses for a living. He had a construction company and stuff, and my father was very wise, and he would all, always, in the hottest time of the year, he would take us out, and we would do some roofing and things like that, right? We, it'd be like almost close to 100 degrees and stuff like that, and we'd be on the top of the... <sighs> the roof, nailing nails and stuff like that. And he said, guys, you want to do this to go to college? And all of us said, we want to go to college. And so, um, but for me, I always had this passion of just playing football. I always wanted to play football. Although I love baseball and, and basketball equally. I mean, football was just the, the one that sort of, you know, worked out perfectly and stuff. And so, no, there was no other, there was no other option. Late 70s, early 80s, up to, you know, around 1990, you were a guy about town in a town that needs no introduction. (laughs) You're funny, man. How was, when you you talk about being Marcus Allen in Los Angeles. Oh, boy. I had fun. It was, it was. um, That's, give the people what they want. How, how was. was, Listen here. I mean. In Hollywood, um, you know, playing sports, especially. I mean, so most people don't understand. I, I had a very long run in Los Angeles, obviously, playing there for four years in college. At right? the same stadium. In the same stadium. So people ask my favorite stadium. I say the Coliseum, of course, right? And um, I think I've gained more yards than any running back ever there because I played there for 15 years, you know. Um, four in college and 11 with the Raiders. And, and you know, people just, they, they love their sports stars. Uh, at the time, I think it was um, the Lakers were in town and Irving was playing, Magic was playing with the Lakers and stuff. The Dodgers were doing well. I mean, so, you know, if you were, you know, a sports star, you know, you were in favor. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever asked that question in that way. It's like, I know. It, I don't know what you expected me to it, say. But anyway. as, as I wanted you to say, as good as you think my life was, it was ten times better. No, it's better now. Yeah. When you when you when you get to a place where and you had look a fifteen year career in the NFL, sixteen year 16, career 16. in the NFL yeah. as a running back. In 2023 is about the most unlikely thing in the history of the world. Yes, it is. Uh, and look, I look looking at, back, yes, uh, and and today, you know, the league is like a me too, yeah, me too league, right? If one team does it, the other team does it, right? And they have this consensus now. The guys are, you know, can only play four years and stuff like that. And I thought that was ludicrous. Um, I remember when I first came out, um, my rookie season. Um, looking back and, and remembering some of the articles before I was getting drafted were, were pain, some of them were rather painful, you know. And, but I didn't quite understand. I said, who are these people that, you know, these so-called experts and stuff like that, right? Um, that, that said, it was an article that I would be just an average player that, um, you know, he's not going to be anything special or anything like that. 
And I was like, oh, man, who are these people? I mean, I said, how do they know that, man? I mean, I, I've been preparing for this moment, my, 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 you know, since I was a kid. And now you have people that said, you know, I'm just going to be average. And I was going like, man, these people don't know what they're talking about. I don't know how they're employed. And um, I ended up getting drafted by the Raiders and, and becoming the rookie of the year. And um, I, I, I say this really sort of to push back on those people that, because um, I don't really say this often, um, to push back on those people that said I was going to be just an average player, that I was a Super Bowl MVP, that I was a league MVP, that I was a comeback player of the year, that I'm in the Hall of Fame. Now you're taking on my... I'm in the perfect 10. There's only 10 guys that have gone, you know, the one the highest been in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and all those guys. Um, I remember Paul McGuire, and I love Paul. You know, Paul McGuire, I think he was working for NBC at the time. But I think he was in the uh, ESPN telecast um, when I got drafted. And, and, and he says, I don't know why the Raiders are going to draft this guy. Maybe they'll move him to wide receiver. And first of all, he said, I wasn't fast enough to be a wide receiver. So why would they move a slow guy out to the – I mean, none of it made any sense. But um, those are the things that um, – I, I was always self-motivated. Oh, you have to be. I was always level. very self-motivated, didn't need anybody to push me. Uh, my mother always said I was the first one out of the house for, for sports and the last one out of the house for everything else. And so I was very self-motivated, and that kind of, uh, you know, hearing those kind of things certainly uh, give you, you know, just a little more of an edge uh, to go out. And, and I really didn't want to prove anybody wrong. All I wanted to do, I'm going to go back to what my original um, thought was, is that I wanted to honor my parents. I wanted to let everybody know who my parents were because the investment that they made in me, which I felt was, you know, tremendous. Uh, but they did what they were supposed to do because they brought me here. And, um, and that was my way of saying thank you to them and rewarding them. Do you have a team college or professional or an award college or professional things that mean the most to you over other accomplishments i, I was um again like the southeast the the heisman trophy uh, you could win 47 super bowls they'd be like he's got a heisman i'm not saying that's right but it's true i, I won the commitment to excellence award um voted on by my teammates I don't know if I've been surpassed, but I, I won it six times with the Raiders. And uh, that, I mean, most people don't even know what that is, but that meant a lot to me because that was my teammates. The Academy. That voted on that. Yeah, those were my peers. Those were the guys that, you know, I went to work with every single day. So they knew um, my value. And, and they also knew that I was the one guy in the locker room that always would stand up for them. I don't think a lot of people really know this, but NFL free agency in large part is defined by you. I, well, there, there are others. I'm, yeah, I'm one of them. One of, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the players that sued the league for uh, what we see now is um, free agency. Uh, I think it was um, the name plaintiffs were, I think, uh, Reggie White. Hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> How you doing there? Uh, Reggie White, um, 
Mark Collins and maybe Freeman McNeil. Uh, there were a lot of other players in the in the suit, but I think we were the named plaintiffs. And uh, obviously, you know, challenging the Raiders at the time was not a very popular thing to do. Oh, they let you know. Uh, yeah. And so, um, but that was the only way to extricate myself from that situation because um, I wasn't playing. You know, I would walk into the, 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 the owner's office and say, listen here, um, I don't like it here. I don't want to play here. Um, uh, you could cut me. You can release me. Do whatever you want. I just, you know. And he would say, uh, and I said, you could trade me. And he says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll trade you. And then two weeks later, he says, nobody wants you. And so that was a game that he played to keep me there all the time. And, and I, I signed a series of one-year contracts. There were also times when I went to... They said I would never go to training camp. Well, the reality was you can't go to training camp without signing a contract, right? And so they would not let me sign. They wouldn't call me um, until maybe it was like two weeks into camp and then say, you better come in and sign your contract. Otherwise, you'll, you, know, you won't get paid. So that's how they kind of manipulated the situation. And then I had to deal with all these other backs that uh, came in that are, that are great friends of mine. Dickerson and Roger Craig and all these different guys. But that's how they sort of manipulated the situation. And most people didn't see it that way. They said I was holding out. Well, the fact is I couldn't go to camp. Um, I had to deal with a lot of stuff. But, uh, again, I think it served me well um, because I was not going to be denied. I was not going to be um, well, I think let that, you know, I think one deter of the, me. The great things that you get on feedback about you is knowing that you went through a tenuous situation with Very, the owner of a NFL yeah. team who is definitely proud of himself and his franchise. But you know what? Listen here. I, my, my relationship with the Raiders um, is great. It's great. Absolutely. It, it really is. Right. Yeah, yeah. At that time it wasn't. And um, credit to Mark Davis, uh, Al's son, uh, for making that happen. Uh, he asked me to, come back and, and light the torch for Al uh, in Oakland because a lot of people think that I played in Oakland and I never played in Oakland. I, I was the, you know, sort of the original first round draft pick of the Los Angeles Raiders. Right. And so um, he asked me to uh, come back and do that. And I'm the type of person is I, I, I don't like to live in negativity. It was like, let's put this behind us. Let's move forward. And, um, he was great. Um, Al's wife was great. Mrs. Davis, um, she just said that there's two eagles that were going at it, you know, and I just, you know, and that was fine with me. But they were. Um, well, and those running backs on those teams, you know, Bo Jackson's one. Yeah. They were all, everybody, if you get to that level, you were an immensely talented yeah. person. But they all talk about what, even though that was a tenuous situation, what an excellent teammate you were. Well, one and the, I think that's rare. One of the things I'm proud of is that um, Dick, uh, Dickerson would tell you, Bo would tell you, regardless of, um, of the situation, and, and everybody knows that tenuous is a good word, the situation, um, I never held back information from those guys right. that did not make them successful. I gave them all the information they need. I did not want it to be said that, listen here, 
You remember the situation, I think, with, uh, I think it was Brett Favre and, uh, and yeah, Aaron Rodgers when he said, that's not my responsibility. <laughs> a young guy coming in after him or somebody who's playing and he isn't. And I said, it is your responsibility. If you really care about your team and your teammates, you're going to give the guy information. It, it reflects, I think, a lot um, about you as a person. And, again, there was a reason that I was given that award six years in a row, and most of it was during that period, too, uh, because I handled things a certain way, and I always um, – there's a reason that we're friends today. Absolutely. We're not, we would not be friends today, I'm sure, if I, if I ignored Eric Dickerson while he was there, if I ignored Bo Jackson while he was there, if I ignored Roger Craig. No, I helped all of them. I was because um, one, I, I, they were not my enemy. You They're liked my teammates. People. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love people and stuff. And um, those were, you know, situations that were being used to, to, um, I think, to prevent me from, you know, doing what I always wanted to do. But I didn't hold it against those guys. So, I want to ask you a couple questions as you separate. From, from the NFL, and you look down the field, holistic conversations about football in general. NIL is a huge deal in 2023. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, that's obviously clearly changed the game, and you hear people like Nick Saban, who he dislikes it. And I can understand both arguments. How do you feel about that? In the Because it, it definitely impacts college football and college basketball the most. Well, I, I think they're... You know, the, the quest is to always legislate fairness, right? And it's never going to be fair. You know, the most popular player is always going to get the most money, and the, the least popular will get nothing. And, but we always try to legislate fairness, right? I, I think it's easy to see coming. What was difficult seeing coming, I think, is the unintended consequences is what it's done to um, high school recruiting and how it's impacted that. Now, a three-star athlete normally would get a shot. He's not getting a shot now because these colleges now are saying, hey, I'd rather go to a guy that, uh, that has been into a, you know, in a college classroom, college weight room, a college program um, that may be disgruntled or unhappy in another situation and bring him in. And now you're getting a lot of kids that normally would get a shot because they saw potential in them and it would may take it may take a little bit of time to develop them, right? But now they're they're not even interested in that. They're just going straight to another college to get kids. Um, so the transfer portal, in my opinion, is m- much more devastating to um, I, I think the hopes and dreams of a lot of kids out there than uh, possibly getting you know uh, INL. You know what I mean? So it's like SC is in the midst of a conference transition. Yeah, that, it's, it was, that was kind of shocking. Are you, uh, are you excited about being the alma mater of a school that's in the Big Ten? Um, listen, you know what? I think it, exciting times ahead. I mean, really. Um, we always wanted to play the best schools. That was our thing, all right? We, we hated when, you know, they scheduled, like, uh, St. Mary's and stuff like that. I mean, you know, that was like... Who's doing this, right? Are we trying to help out other programs? Or are we trying to, you know, prepare ourselves for, you know, the, the ultimate game down the road? And so uh, I think what they realized is, let's be candid here, guys. I think the 
the, the Pac-12 deal was a terrible deal, right? You look at USC, we'll include, include uh, excuse me, look at USC and we'll include UCLA in that. 20, I don't know, what is it, 20 million viewers or something like that? Yeah, it's a big city. Yeah, you cannot. And yet, you know, we had the same, I won't mention another school, but the same as a, a school maybe north. Uh, Way north in the part, middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we're getting the same amount of money. It's not like, that's like, what is it crazy, man? Right? And so somebody saw the potential in that. I don't think, I, 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 I think somebody came to USC and said, what do you think of this? And the money was exponentially better, so I think they had to, like, they couldn't, they could not say no. Speaking of saying no, we had a conversation before we got started. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to say no sometimes. You got to say no sometimes. Yeah. So I imagine as, as, the, uh, as a guy out and about in Los Angeles for a decade and a half, as a Heisman Trophy winner who is like, <laughs> I saw Marcus Allen, and that pe- every, everybody in that town was like, oh, man. How do you get good at saying no, and why, when, and how did you do that, and why is that a lesson people should learn? When did and, I get and, good at it? And, th- I mean, and thank you for saying I, yes to I'm this. I'm never really good at it. I mean, you hate to say no. Uh, sometimes you just can't. Um, you, you you can't do everything um, that people want you to do. That's just understandable. And what I think most people don't get is the amount of people that ask you things, right? And, um, I mean, even as a simple autograph, right, if there's 20 people in the room and you, um, one person asks you, it really sort of opens the door for the other 19, right? And maybe the situation doesn't, uh, you know, ask for that at that particular time. And it's hard to, I mean, and to me, I'm, I'm in the people business, right, because I like people, right? It is hard to get people to understand that, right? You say uh, yes t- to you and no to everybody else. And so what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, you're special and the rest of them are not. I'm No, I'm not saying that. I'm trying to manage this whole thing. So the word no occasionally uh, comes up, but it, it, it has an explanation behind it. I just don't say no and walk away. I try to say no, and this is the reason why. This is not a good time, and I can't sign everybody else's, so you can't make, you know, I can't say you're special and they're not. So I try to explain those kind of things, but, I mean, even growing up, um, you know, it was some extended family members. They they wanted certain things, and uh, you, you can't be everything for everybody, and I had to say no. Should Reggie Bush be in the, get his Heisman Trophy back knowing all the rules now? Oh, hell yeah. He should have never gave it up. I mean, I don't understand that, but well, I see that you're really opening the door right there. Oh, good. Because I think you should too. I'll just. The topic there was the fall guy. He was the running back coach, right? And I think he just, uh, I may be wrong, but I, I thought he just won an $8 million settlement. Oh, wow. Yeah. Regarding that whole situation. So some, to me, that's, you don't win a settlement until, unless somebody, you know, because I think he wasn't able to work after that point, and then later was found out that none of that ever happened. It, what was interesting is I think he, he's no longer with us, but was the athletic director, and from what I understand, in Miami. 
uh, lectured at USC on what we should have known 100 miles away, but he didn't even know what was happening on his campus. Um, the guy, I think his uh, name is Shapiro, I think he's um, was in prison at the time. Right. Ran the team out on the field, he did all kinds of things, yeah. right? But he lectured us on what we should have known 100 miles away. Or 2,000. <laughs> but it was like, wow, you know. And then you see, yeah, you don't, you don't, I don't even want to go there because then you, you want to point out all the other um, injustices, right? And it's um, all imperfect. Well, listen here. If, if You've got to be consistent, right? That's my point. You've got to be consistent, right? You can't, because you don't like this program, take 10 scholarships away a year for three years and then you have a university uh, in the Northeast that everyone's aware of a situation and then everything gets rescinded the, the year, a year later. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. You're a, yeah. so you're now a Georgia guy. Yes. What, how does that decision take place moving here raising kids when you have a child son? you 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 know you want to put them in the best environment um and i felt uh, this was a great place and, oh it's awesome uh, yeah it's like north fulton's like orange county but <laughs> orange county <laughs> but but probably a little bit nicer with more pollen <laughs> well that's the if there's only that's the only negative for me is, uh, you know, just the first couple of weeks of spring, man. It's tough on me, brother. It's like, whoa. So, um, but I but I, I love it here. Um, I, you know, I try to explain it to people and stuff, and, you know, they'll never understand. Um, I think, you know, when you grow up in San Diego, which is pretty, you know, has some of the best climate in the world, unfortunately, over the Many years, the politics have changed, and to me, it doesn't. Uh, sunshine alone doesn't w would not keep me there. I, th I think you have to. Um, a lot of other things you have to consider. Policy is something that's really important. Right? So um, I'm all about uh, freedom uh, for people. I'm all about. Um, what do you, what is it? what do you got a note I, over there or something or what? You you got a note. You Oh, a note. <laughs> Jamie Bindle says, I have North Fulton's winningest eight and under recreational soccer coach. Any advice for me as I uh, coach little ones and mold young minds? Be sweet to, be sweet to my daughter. <laughs> well, it appears you're doing a great job already, Coach. Don't let me take all the credit. My congratulations, though. Uh, I, I always say this, though. It takes a special person to be a coach. Not everybody can do that. Uh, it's a special breed, and it's a certain amount of patience that uh, that's necessary. And uh, I only like them when I, they're little. I, I, well, well, even then, I mean, I appreciate it though. It takes it takes time. You got to understand, guys. Next to the parents, the coach is the number one person that impacts most of the young people's lives. All right. I know all mine. I remember them from childhood. Absolutely. So, trust me. I look back, and you talk about boy, my high school coach, beneficial. Great coach. I mean, Vic Player was his name, and we end up obviously not getting off to a great start, but end up, you know, what he did for me, it was like, 
uh, you know, you have people in your corner that see things that you can't see. We all have blind spots, right? There's things that a lot of coaches can see, things that you can't see, right? He saw that I could actually quarterback and I, that I could run the ball and stuff. And I was thinking only about defense. And look, what it, look where it led me. If my coach didn't see that, and then I had John Robinson, who was just, I always say he's one of the greatest teachers, motivators, and psychologists ever, right? He was just brilliant. And he always said uh, to us, a champion, he always said, he, a champion says, and he never used another university, guys. He always used, if the Rams want to play us, we'll beat them in the parking lot. You name the place and time, and we'll be there. So for 18 to 22-year-old kids, you're going, yeah, we'll play the Rams, you know? That was sort of our mentality and stuff, but it was, you know, just, just great coaches. And then you have um, Tom Flores. Tom Flores was as, as mild manner as you can get, guys. But Tom had this, he had this special quality. I mean, this, this way to communicate with each and every one of the guys on his team. And he treated everybody like adults. But he was the one that really sort of, the Raiders were never a uh, I-formation team. They were, they're always far left, far right. And he's the one who changed everything for me and then put faith in me. And that's why, I mean, I, boy, I cried like a baby when uh, Tom Flores made the Hall of Fame. Because I was like, you know, that's my coach, and he deserves it. You know, he's won two Super Bowls. Uh, he's the first uh, Mexican Mexican American to to quarterback, and I think the uh, in the league, right? Am I correct? But he's also the uh, he was the first one to be a president of a team. Um, a G, uh, I don't GM, GM, yeah. I mean, he he did it all. And and then I saw all these other guys that were winning like one one Super Bowl. It's like what one? And he's won two. And he's not in. In addition to all other stuff, I'm going like man, the voting's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, there's a coach after coach after coach. So, but my ultimate coach was my dad, the one at home uh, that I you know and. And I don't know if you guys know the story. This is real. This was really important to me, guys. Right. So in 2003, now the speech is they kind of, you know, the speeches for a while got a little bit out of hand. They were like, every guy was almost up there for an hour, right? And at that time, we only had 15 minutes, right? And so um, they saved they saved me for last. So the uh, the producer, the set producer comes to me and said, hey, Marcus, uh, we're running out of time, so you're going to have to keep your uh, your, your uh, speech short. And I didn't I didn't care. I mean, I didn't really pay attention to you him. You kind of waited he for came, that one? He came to me a second time, and I looked at him and said, listen here, I don't care about me. You better get my father on the air. That's the only thing that mattered for me. Because you got to understand, we all have stories, right? My father was the oldest of 11 kids. His dad died when he was young. Right, and he tells this story where his mom said, "Go get your dad," and he was about two miles away, um, and he said, "Hey, um, it's, it's dinner time." Mom said, so he walks home, he and his father, and he said his dad barely said two words to him, and then he tells us a story that he says he thought about that, and he says, "If I ever have kids, it'll never be like that." So I always remember that story. And so my father was never like that. My dad was in every aspect of our lives, and he talked to us. And 
Guys, we even had this, uh, and, and he introduced us to everything. There we, nothing was left to curiosity, guys. He even had this, this little drug paraphernalia kit, right? And he said, okay, this is, you know, this drug. This is this drug. This is strict, this drug. And this is what it would do to you. We knew everything. So there was no curiosity for us to go out and try anything. He said, if you want a beer, you drink it home. And we didn't, you know, nobody liked it. But it was, it, it, it was this interesting message, though, because if he said, you know, you can have one, but at the same time, he'd kick, he'd kick our butts, right? So it was like, you know. But everything was like our dad told us we did not go out and find out from anybody else. There was no curiosity about anything because our dad told us everything. So he was, um, he's great. He's um, 80, what's my dad, 88, I think. I think they, think they just had, I think June 1st will be their 63rd or 4th. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wedding anniversary, so yeah. So, You're gonna have a big party for him. Yeah, but wait, wait. You know, I got to talk to you. My mom. My mom is the best, though, guys. My mom is the, is the coolest, right? The dad, obviously, but mom's the glue, and mom is, you know, she's the best. And and the the life that I've been able to provide for her. I mean, God, she's been so happy. She meets everybody. She's she's met everybody and stuff, and she is, you know, it's it's been pretty cool. To see her enjoy, enjoy herself, and she and she does not sit at home. She goes. She she's uh she goes everywhere, and she knows everybody. So my my mom is the best. My mom was tough too. I think growing up, I I I I look back and I said, uh, Mom, yeah, I don't ever remember you hugging us a lot when we were growing up. She said I was trying to raise strong boys, and that, because now I'm I'm 63, she's all over me, you know. But I said, I get it, and I understand it. But yeah, I don't remember my mom really sort of hugging us and. She was tough on us, but she said she was trying to raise strong boys. So, four, five of you. Yeah, there's five boys and one girl. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I would hope. I mean, it's hard to have that much love. My mom's from <laughs> Louisiana. My mother's from New Orleans. And my dad is from Texas, and they met in San Diego, California. You know, but he's sort of uh, from the south, moved out to uh, uh, the West Coast, and that's where they met, and that's where I was born and raised. I, I love yeah. it. Mercy well, Hospital. Man, thank you so much <laughs> for joining me today. Thank you. It's been another episode of the Ben Burnett Show. Marcus Allen, thank you, man. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. 
we're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.